you're new, my name is Verge. I'm the pastor here at Vertical Church, and I love church. I love coming to church. I don't just say that. I really do. I love church. Do you want to know why? Ask me why. Ask me why. Because transformation happens in this place, uh, and it doesn't necessarily happen in one moment, but it happens over time, and I love the fact that some people, the first time you came here, you were like arms crossed, you know, sourpuss face, kind of like got dragged again to church, you know. And today, some of you, after time, today, you're in worship with freedom and raising your hands and loving Jesus because there's been a transformation work in your heart. Can I get an amen? And I know some of you came in today, and today's your first time, or maybe you're newer, and you're kind of like that cross arm, you know, sourpuss face. Jesus is working on you already. I already know it, and I'm so happy to be in church. I love seeing transformation happen. I love, love, love it. We are in our series, The Beatitudes, and today we close it. Today is week eight, our final week of The Beatitudes. Has this not been an awesome series? The Be- Everybody say The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, are uh, the, the introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. We find it in Matthew 5. The whole sermon is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. By the way, anybody got your Bible today? Can I just see it? Can I just see Bibles that are swords, that are alive, that are in people's hands? All right, go to Matthew 5. That's where we're going to kick things off. And as I like to do, I like to get get a little bit ahead. So if you have a bookmark or if you have your little Bible stringy thingy, uh, you can also put it in a few other passages a little bit ahead. We're going to go to 2 Timothy 3. There's a key verse there. Uh, And then a little bit ahead, we're going to go to John 15. At the end, we'll finish off with a passage in Acts 7. So Matthew 5, 2 Timothy 3, John 15. Uh, by the way, if you haven't downloaded the Vertical Church Iglesia app on your phone, on your device, you can do that. And when you go to the notes section of the day, it gets refreshed every Sunday. You'll see the Bible verses and the points. That way you don't miss it. You don't skip a beat. You can share it with somebody, send it to yourself. Uh, so we're in the Beatitudes. This is the final week. Um, and again, the Beatitudes are these kingdom principles, statements that Jesus made that are extremely countercultural. They're very challenging. Honestly, they're beautiful statements. But let me just say out front, living out these values in today's culture and world, it honestly feels backwards and upside down because the kingdom of God is backwards and upside down compared to the world. So if you grew up and you don't really know Jesus, uh, you're not really kind of, you haven't been churched in the sense of learning about the word and the Bible and the life of Jesus and the gospel, it's very natural to go with the flow of the world. And the flow of the world is counter to the flow of the kingdom. Are you with me? That's why when you live a Christ-like life and you live for Jesus, it really stands out. And can I just say, for those of you who didn't know, Christianity isn't for ninny muggins. Christianity is for, is, for, is for courageous men and women. It's not for fluffy people. And people who, don't, people who don't know it, don't know the gospel, don't know that. And, uh, and if you think uh, being a Christian is soft, you don't even know what it means. Because what it means is the opposite of that. It's countercultural. And, um, and I think that as Christians, we have to, those, who, those of us who are Christians have to understand that living for God is always, always, always the best way to live. It's always the best way to live. And I don't care if you're a teenager. Well, people make fun of me. People are going to make fun of me. Or if you're an adult and you're like, well, I don't want my family to know. I, like, I don't care where you are, but if you can't stand up as a courageous Christian, like we said a few weeks ago in the, the uh, blessed are the pure in heart, right? I don't know if you've been born again because, because when you've been born again, you know. You know when you've been born. And so, and so this, this whole issue of, of, oh, I think I am, but I'm not. But I am on Sundays, but I'm about Tuesdays and Fridays. That whole thing, it's like that little game, that's just the game between you and yourself. And that's the game that the world plays. 
God don't play games. And so I love that Jesus doesn't play, and I'm not playing today. <laughs> I love that Jesus doesn't play. He is straightforward. And so let's, let's, today's title, by the way, is Blessed Are the Persecuted. Sounds like an oxymoron, right? It sounds like a what? Like, amen? I don't know if I should amen that. Jesus said it. You should. This one especially is very difficult to understand. Why would Jesus say, blessed are the persecuted? Let's read together Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. And if you got it, say, I'm there. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Can we give praise God for Pastor Kiko and, and Craig, who last week brought a great word on peacemakers? And so to, here's today's beatitude. It's the last one, and it kind of has... It has the most verses, it has three verses to it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can we pray? Lord, we come before you today ready and attentive to receive the message that you have in your heart for us to receive in our hearts. So I pray that these would be seeds of truth from your word that would land in good fertile soil in every heart and mind of those of us present and those connected online. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we look at what Jesus said here, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I wanna help us understand when he said it, why he said it, what it means to us today. Uh, remember that Jesus made these statements early on in his ministry. He had taught a little bit at this point. He had healed some people. Things were going great. And then here on this mountainside, a huge crowd gathers around him and he shares all of these statements, including blessed are the persecuted. So the first kind of question is, who are the persecuted that Jesus is talking about? And what I want you to see is that we spent seven weeks on the first seven Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means we're all spiritually bankrupt before God, right? Blessed are those who mourn, because when you come and realize how you and I have hurt God's heart with our sin, it causes us to mourn and grieve that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pastor Gislin brought us a great word on that. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? Those who are born again. Blessed are the peacemakers last week. If you live out the first seven Beatitudes, you will experience the final one. So I wanna share with you three truths about persecution. Are you with me? If you're taking notes, three truths about persecution. And by the way, this is a hard truth, but I'm gonna give you a little bit of hope on the front end, letting you know that it's not all bad news. So let's start off with number one, the reality of persecution. The reality of persecution. Um, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what I want to kind of zero in first on is what is persecution? And let me give you the first point today. Don't confuse persecution with hardships of life. 
Because sometimes people some mistakenly do this. Don't confuse persecution with the hardships of life. Because can I just tell you something? You're going to experience some hardships in life because it's life. Have you ever heard the phrase, life isn't fair? <laughs> this is a truth, right? But the hardships of life are not the same thing as experiencing persecution. It's just the reality of living in this world that brings challenges and hardships. By the way, it's not persecution when your internet goes out at home. It's the enemy. The enemy's coming after me. No, no, no. That's an inconvenience. It's not persecution when somebody cuts in front of you in traffic, right? That's a rude driver, right? And sometimes you might do that too. It's not persecution when you get a flat tire. Oh my gosh, demons are after me, no? It was the nail in the street that somebody irresponsibly left there. It's not persecution when you fall and break a bone. That's an unfortunate accident. It's not persecution when you experience the heartbreak of a failed relationship. That's a hardship of life, but it's not the same thing as persecution. Everybody say with me, persecution. So what is persecution? Persecution means to make someone run, to put to flight, to drive away and out, to pursue in a hostile manner, to harass, to trouble, to mistreat. So by the way, let's take a rewind. Jesus, in other words, says, blessed are those who are pursued in a hostile manner, who are harassed, who are mistreated because of righteousness, because of their faith in Jesus. So, so think about it. In, its, in the early stages of Jesus's ministry, things are going great. And as his disciples and followers are multiplying, in the middle of all that, he says, hey guys, I want you to know something. You're gonna be blessed when you're persecuted. <laughs> He's telling his disciples that things are about to get tougher. And they definitely did. Sometimes we mistakenly have this belief. And, and if we mistakenly have the belief, we might mistakenly give the belief to others that when you get saved, when you accept Jesus, all of a sudden, everything is gonna be great in your life. Everything, every circumstance, every situation is going to be wonderful. You're not going to have any more problems. And I want to tell you, if somebody told you that lie, I am so sorry that they were mistaken. But Jesus never says this. Jesus is very clear in saying, if you're going to follow me, expect to experience some problems and in some cases, some persecution. I don't want you to be surprised about this. Are you with me? Because if you believe that everything's going to be okay, because you've accepted Jesus as your savior, then when things are not okay, then you're like, oh, well, this didn't work. So that's the mistake that some people have made is that they've believed what other people have said, but not because they've actually known Jesus and heard his words or read them. Are you with me? I'm here to tell you that sometimes in your life when you experience problems, even persecution, it's actually a sign that your faith is working as opposed to not working. And we need to understand this reality. Can we jump to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds to get there. Question, Bible trivia. 2 Timothy, Old Testament or New Testament? Very good. New Testament, 2 Timothy. Here's another one. It's really hard. What book is 2 Timothy after? Oh, man, you got it. This is a sharp, sharp group. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We need to understand this reality that as believers, we're going to face problems and even persecution. Look at verse 12. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. Verse 12, and it says, yes, this is Paul writing, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer 
persecution. Your version might say it a little bit differently, but pretty much the same thing. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Who? Who? How many of people? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Do you realize how, many, how, many, how little amens there are after that verse? Like, do you realize it? It's not like, and Paul writes, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen. Like nobody has this verse printed on their mirror in the bathroom. Now, don't look for this one. Just follow me on the screens. Philippians 1.29. Paul also writes to the Philippian church, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So here's what I want you to understand. According to Jesus himself, here's the point. Persecution is a promise for authentic Christians. Persecution is a promise for authentic Christians. What does that mean, authentic? Like, do I, I got to be like from, from a different country? Like, no, no, it means a real, like, like a for real. Like a Christian, when things are good and when things are bad, when, I, when people don't know and people know, like a Christian at all times, like authentic Persecution is a promise. So if we're not receiving persecution for our faith, could it be that we're not living out the Beatitudes? Food for thought. Because we have a natural tendency to resist persecution as human beings. We'll naturally ask ourselves, how can I avoid persecution? And by the way, one way to avoid persecution is to be so careful about your faith that nobody even knows you have it. But Jesus didn't call us to be these kinds of believers who fly so far under the radar that nobody can tell what we believe in and that they would be surprised if they found out. Are you with me? Years ago, there was this interesting quote. I remember when I was in youth group and it said, if you were accused of being a Christian in court, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I used to follow a band called Big Tent Revival. Anybody remember that band from, the, from back in the 90s? If loving God was a crime, I'd be an outlaw. In other words, is there enough about your life that shows who and what you believe in that's evident to the people around you? Is it evident to the people around you that you live for God? Or could it be that most people have no idea? Here's a good question. Am I a visible believer or a secret ancient believer? Am I a visible believer or am I a secret agent believer? Is your, is your faith in Jesus visible to others? Or are you kind of a secret Christian spy because nobody has any idea by the way you live that you are Pastor, why should, why should our faith be visible? Because if you live, if you live the values of the kingdom of God, it will be impossible to remain invisible. If you live out the values of, of the kingdom of God, the Beatitudes, you will be visible. You will make a difference, a difference in where you are because your choices will be different than the choices of the people around you. 
because your values are different. When Christ is the center and the foundation of your life, your decisions and how you live will flow out of Christ being the center. When sex is the center of your attention and your life, the decisions that you make and the way you live, even the way you speak will flow from that reality. When money is the center of your life, when, when relationships with people are the center, when other things, possessions, when, when fame, whatever it is, put it, whatever that is, is the center, it flows from you. And when you have Christ in the center, Christ will flow from you. So I encourage you today, be a visible believer. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, the reality of persecution. Let's go to number two, the root of persecution. The root of persecution. So we've established first the reality of persecution. It's not an if. It's not an if. Maybe. Maybe. No, no. Jesus is like, you, you will be blessed when you are persecuted. So what's the root? Where does, where does it come from? Jesus, if Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me, by the way, not because of your own foolish things or you know, because you're goofy, or because you did this. No, but because of me, this is Jesus. So what is the source of persecution? Where does it come from? Let me give you this little verse. You could just take a note of it. I'm gonna show it on the screen. Psalm 143.3, the psalmist writes, for the enemy has persecuted my soul. Pause. Who? The enemy has persecuted my soul. And I wanna talk about this because I think many times we misunderstand the source of persecution. We often think that persecution comes from people, but that is not true. Here's the point for this, for this principle. Persecution comes from the enemy and through people. Are you with me? So one thing is the source. The other thing is the vehicle. Persecution comes from the enemy and through people. So it can come through people, but ultimately it's from who? It's from the enemy. And we need to understand that although it may come through people, persecution comes from the enemy. Why, why do I think it's important as your pastor that you understand the real root of persecution? Because if you don't understand the real root of persecution, you will mistakenly put your eyes on people and think he's the issue or she's the issue or that person's the problem when really it's the enemy. But as Ephesians 6 teaches us, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. It's, it's, against, it's against powers and authorities in the spiritual. Are you with me? Can't see that with your eyes. That's why the world doesn't really deal so much with the spiritual because they can't see it. You won't see it on a medical report. I worked in a hospital for 10 years. Never once did I see anything spiritual. And a lot of times, especially when I was working in the psychiatric ward, there's a lot of spiritual issues going on there. Medicine won't deal with it because they can't see it. Most people ignore it and what they'll do is they'll try to over-medicate it. So they'll deal with the fruit, but they'll never reach the root because the root is spiritual. And so sometimes we'll blame other people for what's happening when we should be wiser and have more discernment and understand that they're not the true source. They might be used by the enemy, but the source is the enemy. There's a spiritual power behind the persecution, especially when we're talking about the persecution of people for faith in Jesus. So, so let me teach you this. Two types of people persecution comes through. Two types of people persecution comes through. Number one, persecution can come through lost people. Now, lost people is not like, oh, they don't know how to get to the direction that they're getting to. That's not what I mean by lost. I'm talking about spiritually lost. Spiritually lost means not spiritually found, means a person who has not been born again. According to the Bible, spiritually speaking, you are either found in Christ or you are lost, not yet having found Christ. Are you with me? 
So spiritually speaking, well, how do I know? Pastor, I don't know. If you don't know, then I would tell you, you have not been because you'd never not know that you've been born. Are you with me? So today, by the end of service, we'll give you an opportunity to take a step and say, I want to know for sure. I want to take that step of being born again. So people who are living by the values of the world, they will not understand when we are living by the values of the kingdom of God because they're two different kingdoms and they're two different values. So don't get mad at the person that doesn't know that because they're not a believer in Jesus. They're not a believer of the Bible. They don't follow Christ. So they're not gonna understand why the Bible says some of the things that it says because it's countercultural, counter against cultural, the culture. The culture goes this way. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's this way. And so Jesus says, they hurt you, forgive them. The world says they hurt you, punch them back. It, it, it's, it's countercultural. It's upside down. It's backwards. And the world, people in the world, they don't get it. They don't understand because they don't know. And sometimes they don't even care about what the Bible says or how we should live. So don't expect lost people to know what the word says or respect it or value it. Now let's pray for lost people so they can stop being lost and be found in Christ Jesus. And let's be a tool in God's hands to reach people that are lost. But let's not be surprised when lost people persecute because of our faith. Secondly, persecution can come through legalistic people. It can come through lost people who are people who don't know God, but it can come through legalistic people who are people who do know God, but are so attached to rules, regulations, religion, and tradition that they've lost the essence of relationship with God. So lost people, persecution can come through them because you're going against the values of the world, which are their values, so you're not part of them. But then legalistic people, because children of the law will always persecute children of grace. Legalistic people will persecute believers because they want, they want you to be able to earn your salvation. You got to do it, man, and you got to learn it, and you got to do it and do this and do this and do that. But you can't earn it. That's why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus because Jesus came to say, hey, listen, it's not about the rules and the regulations. We honor those. We're not like just totally annihilating them, but it's not about that. It's about knowing me and having a relationship with God. And so the Pharisees were like, "Mm, no, but they got to do this. They hated Jesus. That's why Jesus had some harsh words for the Pharisees. If you've never read some of the harsh words, try reading Matthew 23 one day. Because the Pharisees built a system and they persecuted everybody who was living outside of their system and Jesus said to them at one point, not only, do you, not only do you not let people in, but you keep, not only do you not get into the kingdom, but you keep people out. So persecution can come through two types of people, the lost and the legalistic. Look at John 15. I want, I, want to, I want to read this together. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Anybody awake? Anybody learning something today? God's word, man, God's word. There's power in God's word. Honestly, this message puts some fire under me of how I'm living my life and asking the question, I wonder, I wonder why we're not seeing some more persecution maybe. John 15, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And uh, in John 15, 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. (laughs) 
Jesus is pretty straight up, right? Let, let me say it this way. You cannot live loving enough in a hateful world to not be hated because hate hates love. And if we are going to live out the love of God, it will cause conflict. But the conflict is not with people. It's with the enemy who doesn't want people to see the love of God in our lives. Why? Because the root of persecution is spiritual. Think about this. Jesus was Jesus not God. (laughs) He was God. Is God love? Yes, Jesus is love. Jesus, love incarnate came and the world hated him and crucified him. Tell me how much more loving you and I can be to to see if maybe the world might love us. Because the enemy hated what he was doing. So here's a good question. Am I doing anything that would cause the devil to hate me? Is there anything going on in my life right now that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Anywhere in our lives where we might pose a threat to the enemy, where he might say, I don't like what he's doing. I don't like what she's doing. That's too much light. I I want God, personally, I want God to use my life in such a way that it actually makes a difference in other people's lives. And if he does, I will become a threat to the enemy. And we read it in Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when people insult you. Check it out, check it out persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not that I insult you because you got a funny hat on. Or not because, oh, you hurt feelings because, you know, you have big ears. No, 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 no. Because they do that because of me, Jesus says. What Jesus is implying here, because of me, is that persecution is not talking about when people offend me or insult me because, oh, I, you know, because I fell and I was goofy, right? It's referring to when you're persecuted or insulted because of your faith and your stance in Christ Jesus. And so, and so a good question is, is, is and, I, and I'm, I'm aiming this question to middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students and, I'm, and, and also adults, young adults, men, women, parents, okay? Will you take a stand for the gospel of Jesus? And I know it's easy to say amen and say yeah here in church, but, but I'm talking about when the rubber hits the road. I'm talking about when you're in school. I'm talking about when you have a situation in front of you. Let me give you an example. Let, let's, let, let's, let's do a light example from biblical times, right? To make it easy first. Let's say you're living in biblical times and your profession is a builder. You're a builder. You're a stonemason and you're, you're a builder and you're going right now, the, the whole uh, culture's going through a recession. Gas prices are high. The economy's bad. And all of a sudden, you as a builder get a contract to build a temple for a false god to build a temple and an altar for a false God. And it is a very lucrative contract, very, very, very rich contract. And if you do a good job, you might get some more contracts. Would you do it? Because the question is, will you stand for your faith? This is a false God. Now, here's how you and I humanly would reason it. Well, I could give the tithe to the church. Yeah, that's what I'll do. That'll be honoring to God. I'll build a temple for a false God, but then I'll give the tithe to the church. Or or let's say you're living in biblical times. Maybe you're a tailor. You make clothes. You're a fashion tailor. And you get this contract offer to make robes for all the priests of Baal, all 450 of them. 
And behind that contract, if you do a good job, there's probably going to be some more lucrative contracts. Would you take the contract for the priests of Baal? And for these, for these non-godly situations. Or let's say, biblical times, you get invited to this special festival for an idol. Because back in the day, they would have festivals for idols. Not different than today. Just today, they do festivals for all kinds of things, right? And you get invited to this festival for idols. All of the important business people are going to be there. It's going to be ultra amazing. All of the, the people with money and influence in the culture and you're trying to explain to your spouse who's saying, like, you can't go there. You're like, honey, you don't understand how business works. You've got to be at these events so you can make the deal. Would you go? So I share these examples because it gives you perspective, but let's, let's bring it to modern day in your company, in your business, in your profession, in your school. What kind of stand have you made for Christ? Are you suffering any kind of persecution for the gospel or for what you believe in? This is exactly what they did to Jesus. He made a stand. It was clear. And they mocked him. They insulted him. Because the world hates righteousness. They hated Jesus. You want to know why? Because darkness hates light. Why? Because when everything's dark, it's dark. But when light comes in, it kicks darkness out. And when people are living in darkness and you step in and you turn the light on, they're like, oh my gosh, so annoying. Turn it off. Get out of here. Shut up. Because darkness hates light. But you know what darkness is cool with? Non-light. Or lights that are turned off. Or candles with a cover on it. If you live as a light for God, many people will not like you. But I want to be liked. Because when light shows up, darkness is kicked out. That's why Jesus was offensive to people. That's why they wanted him gone. Living as a light makes a difference. And I don't know if you realize this, but when you live as a light, people around you won't be happy. And it's hard to make a stand sometimes. In life, there are moments where you have to make a stand, and a lot of the future will depend on the decisions. I'll give a quick story. I don't have time to go into detail, but I remember. So there was this band, the best Spanish Christian band in the history of Christian music, it was called Contagious, let me tell you. I'm biased because I was part of the band. And, and so when we started, when we started uh, the band, it was probably like unofficially end of 1998 and then kind of officially 99. And then after a couple of years of writing a few songs and kind of, get, kind of getting a little bit of attention, winning a few music festivals, we got called by two secular known record labels. They said, guys, we want to sit down and talk to you guys, which was very interesting to us because whenever you do something and people are interested in what you do, that's a, that's a good thing. So we were like, okay, what is this all about? Well, I wonder if they have a Christian division in that record label or whatever it is, you know, because that was happening too. 
because people will try to make money wherever they can make money. And so we said, all right, let's, let's see. So we sat down and they said, guys, the first one, guys, we love the sound of contagion. We love it. We love that you guys are from different countries. We love kind of the essence of it, the energy. Oh man, it's great music. Do you guys have more songs? Yeah, we have more songs. Okay, great. You guys do English and Spanish? Yeah, we do a little bit of both. Okay, great. Um, hey, listen, we love everything. We have, we have, we can offer this many records Here's kind of the deal that we can offer. Here's what the future could look like, and it looks really bright. The only thing, the only thing we're going to ask is, is why don't we go a little lighter on the Jesus thing? Like, and, 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 and our most popular song at that moment was a song called Loco por Jesus. And uh, so, like, what if, what if it was more like, you know, Loco por tu amor or something like that? Like, you can sing to Jesus, but, but just let it be general for people. And I remember, as that I remember that moment in the conversation, in my mind, I was like, okay, this isn't going to work. And uh, when they said, yeah, this is kind of what we're looking for. And, and I remember, and I remember with, you know, with the guys, I remember just thinking, saying, hey, thank you so much. What an honor to be at this table and, and, and to think of us. Um, we're not willing to compromise on that. So if that's a deal breaker, we really thank you and we respect you uh, for thinking of us. But, uh, but, but that's not going to change. Okay, great. All right. We'll call you. Same thing happened with the second one. Um, and what, sometimes I think back I th and I think, what if we would have, what if we would have, like, who knows? Who knows what could have happened? And who knows how we could have justified it? Eventually, we landed with a Spanish Christian label who opened the doors to us and allowed us to reach um, many parts of the world to this day, many, much of our music plays. But, but what I'm, the, the point I'm going back to is it was very tempting. It was very tempting to say, you know, we have the Lord. You know, we're just going to change a few words, and and it's very tempting in school. Like, oh, I don't want my kid, I don't want my friends to think that I'm weird. It's very tempting in business to say, hey, I know that there's some things here that are not honoring to God, but I think I'll skip over them for now, and then later I'll honor the Lord. And it's very tempting in life to not make a stand. And I'm telling you here today, to take a stand for Christ, you got to be different. And when you're different, you make a difference. But you can't make a difference unless you're different. Are you with me? God called us out of the world. And if we live godly, we will suffer persecution. The reality, the root, and lastly, the reward of persecution. The reward of persecution. There are eight beatitudes. Every beatitude has a reward attached to it. But this last one actually has a double reward. Because in Matthew 5.10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first reward. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it means you belong to God's kingdom. That's the greatest possible reward anybody could ever receive. Can I get an amen? But in verse 11, it says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So not only do you get to go to heaven, but secondly, great is your reward in heaven. Do you see the double reward? Do you see the double blessing? It's interesting to me, it's interesting that when you read in the Gospels, the first time the disciples were actually whipped and scourged and beaten for the Gospel, it says that they left excited and happy because they were deemed worthy to suffer for Jesus. Where are those kind of disciples? Blessed or joyful are those who are persecuted for righteousness, says Jesus. Is it possible that we're not blessed because we're not persecuted? And is it possible that we're not persecuted because we're not taking a stand for Jesus?
I want to close with this. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. The book of Acts chapter 7. I want to show you this story in the Bible because it's the very first Christian martyr. If you've ever ever read the story before, it's the story of Stephen. Remember Stephen? He was persecuted because of his faith in Jesus. And we're going to read just the last portion in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. They're literally in the moment of condemning and persecuting Stephen. And it says in Acts 7.54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, speaking of Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay, I want to show you two quick things about this scripture. Stephen saw two things. First, Stephen saw the glory of God. Someone might ask, what's the reward of persecution? Well, you get to see the glory of God in your life. This is what happened in Stephen's life when he was persecuted. He got a clear picture of Jesus. And when you and I experience it too, we will see Jesus more clearly. Now, the second thing he saw, Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, if you've studied the word, you might remember that after Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the tomb, from the dead, the Bible says that he eventually sat down at the right hand of God. When he sat down at the right hand of God, this is a reference to a place of authority and to a place of reputation, an acknowledgement of what Jesus did because Jesus accomplished something that nobody had ever done and that nobody else could ever do. He literally then sat down at the right hand of God and he sat down because the work was finished. He sat down in a place of honor. Where? At the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And the Bible says that Jesus sat down. Now, it's funny because when you go to a stadium or an arena to watch a big sports event, right? If your team or, your, or the star player scores a goal or hits a home run or scores a touchdown or hits a three-pointer in the last second, everybody who is in the stands sitting down, what do they immediately do? They stand up and they applaud. It's a standing ovation because, wow, you are worthy that we recognize what you've done. Are you with me? And so here's the interesting thing about this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 7, because picture this, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. What is he doing? sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know if he looked over the border of heaven and looks down and sees one of his children, specifically Stephen, who was standing up for his faith and being persecuted. And, And in that moment, Jesus, heaven, because I imagine the angels right there with him, in that moment, heaven gave a standing ovation. At that moment, Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, stands up and says, that's my boy. Stephen is mine. And in that moment, we see 
that the courageous, faithful, standing up for his faith of Stephen caused Jesus to stand up out of his seat and literally cheer for what was happening on earth. The point that I have is Stephen being the first martyr of the Christian church got a standing ovation from Jesus and he got to see it. It's one thing that people bother you because you did something or because you hurt them, but it's another thing when you're persecuted because of what you believe and who you are in that identity. I personally think that we need to honor throughout history people who lost their lives for their faith in Christ Jesus. People like William Tyndale and John Rogers who who are part of the initial reason of why we have Bibles in English today because it was illegal and the law and religion didn't want everybody to have it in their own language and these men and many like them at some point lost their lives for what they believed in. And you and I, you know, we live in the United States of America, which by grace and thank you, Lord, that there is a a sense still of freedom, which I think every day seems to be getting smaller and smaller, to live out our faith, especially, specifically the faith that this country was founded upon. But, But can I tell you, there are places in the world today where it's illegal to have this. And some people smuggle pages of it and keep it hidden. That's persecution. Or some people that if they deny the faith of their country or, their, or the religion of their region, and if they say that they believe in Jesus, it's their life, it's their head. That's persecution. When it's because of your faith and who you are, your identity because of who you believe in. And, you know, I'm not saying even with what's happening right now in the world in Israel, I'm not saying that every Israeli is honoring God with their life because you could even see at that party that they were at, those people weren't exactly honoring God. But, but, this is the people, chosen people of God. Biblically, this is written about. And and the reason they're being targeted is because of who they are. We can go back to the Holocaust and see it as well because of their faith in God. So so I'm not going to get political. I'm not going get, to get, get, but, but here's the reality. In each one of our lives, we have to determine if we will take a stand or not. And when we face persecution for our faith, we will get to see God more clearly. We will get to honor him and we will get to live for the applause of heaven, not the applause of earth. According to Max Licato's beautiful book called The Applause of Heaven. If you and I are going to live for anything, I pray that it would be for the applause of heaven that we would see Jesus stand and cheer for us because we are not compromising our faith. Oh, but what are they going to say? Oh, but what if they're mean to me? You You have not been born again, child. You might be in pregnancy. You might have been a conception, but you have not been born again. That authentic Christianity that understands persecution is a promise. We will not compromise our faith. And while many want their reward here on earth, let me just tell you, the reward that you and I will get is not an earthly reward. The best reward is an eternal, heavenly reward. And let me tell you, it far outweighs any rewards or applause you and I can get here on earth. So why do we say this? Because blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I want to pray two prayers. This first one is for courage and clarity in our faith to stand up for Christ. And then the second prayer is for anybody who is here who doesn't know God. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You haven't truly, or you don't even know if you've been born again. And I want to invite you to say a prayer of faith to take that first step and invite God into your life so that this can happen in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you once again, giving you thanks for your presence, giving you thanks for your love, giving you thanks for your truth because your truth sets us free. And today, Lord, we come before you understanding the reality of persecution, the reality that Jesus, you said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And Lord, we will not confuse persecution with hardships of life. And we will also understand that the root of persecution is not people, but rather the enemy. And sometimes the enemy will use people. Help us understand the true source of persecution so that we will know how to battle appropriately in the spirit. I also pray, Lord, that we would keep our eyes and our hearts set on the rewards of persecution because your word says that there are great, great rewards, including the kingdom of heaven and also rewards in heaven. So Lord, forgive us when our faith has faltered. Forgive us when we've chosen comfortable, secret agent Christianity as opposed to take a stand firm in my faith Christianity. Forgive us, Lord, for the moments where we fear man more than we fear God. Forgive us, Lord, for the moments where we're living for the applause of the earth as opposed to living for the applause of heaven. Thank you for the example of Stephen and so many men and women who've been martyred for your kingdom throughout history. Even though it's not what we desire, we pray, Lord, that you would hold us strong through any persecution we may face because of our faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that when people meet the Christians from this vertical church family, they will meet authentic men and women who love God and aren't ashamed of the gospel, no matter what the price. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.